Hello, I'm Samia Aryan. I'm the founder of Empeak, a platform where visionary women come to gain live access to global leaders, learn about the macroeconomic landscape, and stay ahead of the curve. My guest on today's podcast is someone that I'm a big fan of. You may not have heard of her yet, but trust me, you will soon hear about this young woman. Tara Anison is the winner of Young Leader of the Year Women in IT Awards, Rising Star in Digital, We Are the City Awards, Tech Women 100 winner, and she is also a certified Bitcoin professional and a scrum master. Tara has been incredibly generous with her time, guiding me and Fempeak with our NFT project, and she is running several fantastic sessions on Fempeak. She is super bright, super knowledgeable, and very passionate. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tara Anison as much as I did. If you tell me a little bit about um, who you are, you know, and what it is that you do, uh, and you know why you're passionate about this, why you're doing all this education, you know, why are you spending your time teaching people about about these things, and and where did you start getting into it? You know, how was um, how was your journey into uh, crypto and in Web three and blockchain, all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, some really great questions. So I got involved in crypto actually back in 2015 so i was doing a maths and philosophy degree at university and it was a third year maths module on cryptography so the the maths behind code breaking basically and my lecturer just really offhand mentioned oh there's this thing called a blockchain and genuinely i was not the kind of person that would go after lectures and go to their like the library and do extra reading but for some reason unknown to me i was like what is this blockchain thing? So when I got home, I like Googled it, read the white paper, which is just nine pages. I was like deep into a maths degree at that point. So I actually understood the vast majority of it. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Like I quite like this. So I just started Googling, seeing what was out there. And back in 2015, like there was a lot of content but there wasn't really content for people getting in the space so my introduction was the kind of technical forums and the bitcoin dev mailing lists where they're talking about everything at this like really deep protocol level so i was completely thrown in at the deep end but i was like i just love it it's like such a cool idea and then went into um my graduate scheme with hsbc where it was traditional bread and butter banking and I kind of quickly became known throughout the bank. It's like, oh, you're that girl that talks about Bitcoin. <laughs> so I was there trying to kind of convince all these like old white bankers, like, hey, you should really like get involved in digital currencies. Maybe the bank could do this. And the, the general feeling was like, you know, talk to us in 20 years. But I kind of carried on. I was like, I'm going to make people listen and um, was involved, kind of moved from the graduate scheme into the corporate and institutional digital team, which is brand new team being set up so I was like great maybe we'll do some crypto here um, and they were the similar thing they're like you know maybe 10 years we'll do it so kind of carried on just being this advocate within the bank and eventually I just thought you know what like I'm doing all of this side of desk why don't I just join the crypto industry and this must have been in 2017 I think so still like fairly early days and uh, interviewed with this startup, which was 12 people. They had raised 10 million in ICO. So, you know, everything about like the crypto startup culture and got offered the job. So I was like, right, I'm going to leave banking. And all of my banking colleagues, bar maybe one or two, were like, 
you're mad. What are you doing? Stay in banking. You'll get a like great career. You'll earn loads of money, blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, I want to go work in crypto. And everyone said, you know, the company could go bust. Most startups fail. And I was like, you know, I don't have a mortgage. don't have dependents. And it could be fun. So I left, um, joined that startup. Uh, it did basically fail. So, you know, a baptism of fire. Joined another startup that also failed. Uh, and at this point, it was kind of like, is it, is it me? <laughs> What's going on here? And then luckily joined Elliptic where I work now, which uh, has not failed and is going from strength to strength. So apparently it's not me, which is good. It's just like the, the rules of startup world. And uh, joined here within the product team, uh, working across all of our compliance products and then moved kind of seamlessly into the delivery side of things because I suppose from my maths background, I'm just very at home on like the engineering side and now uh, lead delivery across the company uh, as we're growing. So building out various delivery teams, building out into all of our now huge engineering function. So had the kind of really interesting start, I suppose, to what is already like quite a short career, but I've, yeah, seen the boom and bust of startups, worked in the big corp world um, and everything in between, I suppose. That's amazing. That's so, that's, it sounds so much fun um, and courageous of you. I'm so glad that you did that. So you, when you say delivery, tell me about what that means. What, um, what, what does that actually entail? It's one of those ones where the title feels a bit kind of ambiguous, but I basically work really closely with the engineering teams to make sure that they understand what are we actually trying to build. So you'll have the product person that says our customers have problem X and I then work with the engineers to translate that into, okay, to solve it, we need to build this kind of thing. It has to have these kind of features. Here's where in the system we should build it. Here's what other teams we need to talk to. So delivery is basically that person in between the product client world and the engineering world that like links it all together, make sure that you're building on time, on budget and the right. We thing. have somebody on the, uh, like that in Fanpeak and we call her our scrum master. Is it kind yes. of? Yes. Yeah. Scrum master, product owner, delivery manager. Mm-hmm. I don't think the industry's kind of settled yet on the, the naming convention, but it's all a similar yeah. thing. Okay. Perfect. Got it. Yeah. So it's like a scrum master. Amazing. Okay. So um, this is also very interesting. And you, dedicate some of your time to educating right I can see that you're you're spending some time educating people yeah so it's always been I think from back in the banking days where I was going around you know writing pieces briefing various departments and just non-stop going around saying like let me tell you about bitcoin so it's always been something that I just feel very at home with and feel like because my journey into it was, you know, you had to read the technical stuff. There was nothing out there to like help you get into it. I think, yeah, I very much see my role and responsibility of trying to help other people get in the space and understand it on as deep a level as they need or want to. So I do at Elliptic all of our onboarding for new joiners with regards to crypto and blockchain education. So they get the, um, the delight of me for two hours just non-stop talking about crypto which I think um, they seem to enjoy which is good but I've got a presentation that I don't even get like a third of the way through because someone will say a question of like I hear that proof of work isn't very good for the environment and kind of an hour later I'm there like well actually there's still this factor let me tell you about this and what about this so uh, yeah we never get through all of the content but uh, yeah it's such a joy to make sure that everyone that comes through I get to kind of tell them all about the industry some of the, the history about it 
things that I suppose you can only really know if you lived it. So a lot of the, the chain splits, the ICO boom and bust, all of these events that I've lived through within kind of my crypto journey. It's just really exciting to tell them all about it as well as like fundamentally how does a blockchain work? What's the difference between cryptocurrency and a blockchain? What's this thing about pseudonymity, et cetera? So, yeah, I do all of that with our new joiners as well as just getting involved with various customer calls. If people have questions about, you know, what is a log index and how does it work on Ethereum? I'm like, brilliant. Let, let me talk to you all about that. So, yeah, I think I certainly really enjoy that moment where people go, ah, I get it. Like, I live for that. Um, and I wanted actually back, back in the day, when I was at school, I actually wanted to be a maths teacher because uh, I'd had so many awful maths teachers. And I, one of my personal bugbears is someone saying, oh, I'm, I'm just not very good at maths. Like, I'm more arty or I'm more sporty. Like, anyone can be good at maths. They just need a good teacher. So I think because I've always like been interested in like, the teaching element, it just falls so naturally. Now I'm like involved in crypto that I want to teach people all about it. I totally agree with you, what you said about math. And I also believe that um, potentially the way that we are teaching math is more uh, suitable for boys. And we are, you know, I think girls learn math slightly differently. And there is um, a lot of research that shows that when women do math, different parts of their brain is engaged, right? So it kind of makes sense that uh, we are potentially teaching it the wrong way to um, the different sexes, because I think that we uh, process things differently. So it kind of makes sense. And, um, and I completely agree that I think math is a, it's definitely um, a teacher issue. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think it's just like somebody didn't teach it correctly. Right. Because I, I wasn't very good at math at all. And then uh, I wanted to teach myself Python. So I had to go back and learn some math and um I used the Khan Academy and I was so surprised at how fun it was. And I just, yeah. like, you know, I was literally looking forward to my math practice time. I was sitting there with like lots of papers and it was just so much fun. And then uh, that was before I fully got into building Tempeak. And then I got so busy with it that I just couldn't uh, continue. But I, I learned the kind of the basics of Python and like, I, you know, understood it to a point that I could actually talk to developers, you know, uh, correctly. So um, why do you think it's important for uh, women in particular to understand this new space it kind of upsets me that even when you look at the lexicon right like we say uh, crypto wallets we don't say crypto purses right so everything is like it's it, it's very um, much oriented in a way that makes women think uh, that it's not relevant to them um, but I, I think anything that has to do with financial empowerment has to do with with us and uh, so from your perspective why are you passionate about getting women into it yeah so I think and I'd never actually considered the purses versus wallets it's so <laughs> interesting I wonder if there's other examples of that I'm gonna gonna have a think about that now but I think for me like when you look at women and, and non-binary people investing generally they invest less they're more risk adverse generally you know these are all you know um stereotypes but at large men are the ones that do the investing they are the ones that take the bigger bets with their money and whilst often that doesn't work out and you make a wrong investment 
sometimes it really does and so I feel like for for women and non-binary people when you're not taking those risks you miss out on potential rewards and when you want to make those risks for me it all comes down to education like feeling like you have the knowledge to feeling like you have um the kind of industry awareness that you can try and make some of those bets which aren't just a huge stab in the dark and so as with most things it just all comes down to education for me so if I can help someone understand you know how does a blockchain work it may make them feel a little bit less scared to put you know 10 pounds in and into a bit of like a bitcoin buy and see how it goes doing sessions that I've done with um, various other organizations where I, like physically walk them through okay here's how you set up on coinbase here's how you set your 2fa up so you've got less chance of being hacked here's how you buy your first bit of eth here's how you set up a metamask here's what all those crazy words mean when you set them up and definitely write them down so just basically teaching someone all those steps means that they feel they've got the tools and the knowledge to then take it a little bit further the difference between you know bitcoin and an erc20 the difference of, you know, a, that's a maybe I can't swear in this, so like a, a bad coin. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah, shit coin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The difference between like a shit coin, a meme coin, a protocol, like all of those differences can be really scary and intimidating unless you understand what they mean. And like, if I think if I was going to invest in, say, the, um, like the precious gem market, I don't know the first thing about precious gems. And so I would feel really worried about going and putting my hard-earned money and my savings, trying to decide to, like, a diamond's always the safe bet. Should I try and go on, like, opals? Is there a market for that? Like, I have no idea. And so I wouldn't want to get involved. And so I know people will be feeling the same thing about crypto and thinking, like, I just don't know enough to get involved. And so that's why I think education is so important, so that they can get involved, they can make some money, whether that's like a little top up on their savings, whether it's buying their first like house or car or whatever. Like if you have financial stability, financial freedom, it just opens so many doors for you. And I just think that's incredibly important for everyone, but especially women who tend to invest less anyway. Exactly, exactly. And what I love about the crypto industry is that from an investment point of view is so accessible it's not like when you want to invest in startups where you have to be an accredited investor and you know um it's uh, like usually uh, the minimum uh even if you find like a startup that is in pre-seed level usually the minimum is at least 10 grand or something like that whereas with crypto you can dollar cost average you can start very small if you find the right kind of um, protocols and, and projects you know like i got into solana quite early you know so like that that's been a nice little perk you know this year that was like oh i discovered solana i was listening to the unchained podcast and when they were talking on that podcast, they were still about four pounds and I didn't buy it. I, I, buy, I bought it when it was 24 pounds, but still it's now. Story of every investor's <laughs> life, isn't it? I didn't buy early enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, um, it's just one of those little things that it's like if you, you just dedicate a portion of your money that you um, are okay to lose. And in my case, I'm I'm very much of a risk taker, so I actually have no sake no savings in uh, cash. All of my money is in crypto. Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah, I've got into. So also, uh, I've also invested in a, in a, in another startup, and of course, building this startup. So like I'm 
like you say, you know, it's kind of one of those things that uh, I was like, I don't have kids, you know, I can take the the risk and, and I, and I have another business that brings income. So that one, so I know that, you know, my mortgage is covered, my cats are covered, you know, <laughs> there's enough cat food in the house, you know, so I can take the risk. Um, but, you know, not everybody has to take a high levels of risk, but I think that even if you just dollar cost average and, and put a little bit of money into it and just understand it and get your your hands dirty you know it's it's definitely I think it pays off and the most important thing for me is being able to protect yourself against inflation and the way that you know the um, traditional monetary system works and uh, it's very scary when you think of you know just the Fed and um, you know the governments just literally pulling uh, money out of thin air and, and, and like that's not sustainable and and that financial system is definitely going to crash at some point this is not sustainable yeah. so for me this is a hedge against that uh, so so tell me a little bit more about that side of things and you know if somebody was like you know I have some saving in the bank you know I just don't really want to risk my money or whatever you know what would you say to them how would you how would you compare um, the crypto industry uh, with the traditional banking industry? Yeah, so I think that's one really interesting thing as well about people's journey into crypto. Often what they're doing is they're understanding money for the first time. So I started um, my career, as I said, in banking. So part of the graduate scheme was doing a banking exam. So I had to learn all about how like money fundamentally works. Where does it come from? What happens when you put money in the bank? What kind of products do the bank have in terms of like derivatives, etc.? cetera? Um, I think, you know, you can pretty much get most of the course, if I'm honest, from watching uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> they do some really good explainers on that. But it was really eye-opening to me as like someone who was, well, I must have been 21 at that point, just actually learning about money because they don't teach you that in school. Like you don't learn about taxes. You don't learn about the banking system. And as you say, a lot of it's quite scary when you learn about when you're like, oh, so there's a thing called quantitative easing where they just print more money. That seems odd. Um, and when you learn about like the levels of debt across the world. And so I think that actually is a really useful thing for people getting into crypto just just do some learning about money fundamentally and then you'll learn about like oh okay now I'm starting to see some of the benefits of crypto and certainly I know you know in the UK if you keep your money in a savings account you're earning like 0.05 percent or something like it's minimal you're gonna earn like a pound every year or something so if you're keeping your money in there you're not exactly making it like work for you you're keeping it as safe as the bank is and you only have to think about 2008, 2009 to see maybe banks aren't the safest place uh, at times. But when you're putting your money into crypto or even putting it into like stocks and shares, what you're doing is you're trying to make your money work for you. So you're not just keeping it in a pile somewhere. You're trying to say, okay, I want this money to earn more money. And when you're looking into the crypto space, it's putting it into various projects with the hope that the token's going to go up or that you're going to get some airdrop tokens for being involved or you can start doing some borrowing and lending or staking. Like There's so many different ways to make your money work in crypto now. And in many cases, you'll end up losing money. Like you'll buy an NFT and realize that actually it's just a worthless JPEG or you'll stake it and realize that the... Um, percentage rate you're getting is annual and so you thought you were going to earn hundreds of pounds a day and actually you don't but still it's better than maybe 
what your savings rate is or you'll do some yield farming and the project will go bust or so there's loads of pitfalls in there but there's also loads of opportunities and unless you're looking to move into the traditional stock market or take out some options and play in the money markets with your fiat currency crypto is a way that you can make it work in the, the cryptoverse and Certainly, I know when I look at myself, like I'm fairly educated in the world of fiat money, worked in a bank, got, you know, a certification behind me. I don't feel qualified in any way to play in the stocks and shares market. I don't feel like I can get involved in buying some futures contracts and, and whatever there. I'm not a credited investor anyway, but okay, that to me feels way too scary. Whereas crypto, I feel like I understand it. And as you said before, it's so much more accessible because you can put 10 pounds in, you can put $20 in and see how it goes. And you're surrounded by people in the space who are like you and you trying to like figure it all out, make a bit of money. And so I think for me, that makes it a really attractive place to try and make your money work for you rather than trying to kind of play your luck in the fiat markets. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. Now, I want to I want to um, explain something to you because you're a lot more, um, I'd say, well-versed in this. I'm going to explain something to you and you tell me if I'm correct, because, you know, you can you can because uh, a lot of times I'm trying to explain to people how, uh, you know, um, the financial system is different from the decentralized finance, right? That the centralized finance, how it's different from decentralized finance. And I give them in a very um, ana- uh, analogy-based ways, way, um, I uh, would say that if you think about decentralized uh, you know, finance, like the banking system, when your money, uh, when you think that you have a certain amount of money and you think that that's in the bank, but actually, actually in reality, a lot of times, the same amount of money has also been allocated to other people uh, and it's the same thing with gold that like nobody knows exactly how much money is in circulation and nobody knows exactly how much gold is in circulation. And when you think that you have, um, you know, you have uh, invested in this amount of gold, um, the chances are that that amount of go- gold uh, has been allocated to more than one person that like that more, you know, that two, three, four people may have bought the same gold. I, I know it's hard for people to get their head around, but when I understood this, um, and I think that the person that really helped me to understand that the podcast, uh, What is Money um, by Robert Breedlove, you know, that was like, that was one of the aha moments. I was like, ah, so that's what they mean by the double spending and the, you know, and, and how, why we can't trust the, uh, fin- uh, the the centralized finance, right? So that we don't know how much money is in circulation. They can keep adding to it. And we don't know how much gold is in circulation and um, it can be allocated to more than one person. Like, it's just incredible to think of it, right? And then by contrast in decentralized finance or in on the blockchain, let's take the example of Bitcoin, for um, for example, that it's like we know that there's only ever going to be this many bitcoins, and that which is twenty one million, right? And that uh, every four years, the amount that is being mined is being halved. So you so so it's like the exact opposite of the centralized finance, which is like you know uh, it's 
that one is inflationary, this one is deflationary. So the, um, the value of it keeps getting more and more. So is that how you would start to explain it to people? And that when you think of it that way, you literally imagine these two scenarios, then it kind of makes sense why I'm putting every penny into this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think like one of the criticisms that um, the that people often make against Bitcoin and crypto more lo- large at large is where well, it's not backed by anything. It's just kind of internet money made up. <laughs> Actually, when you look at fiat currencies, so um, when you printed some dollars, it used to be until 1971 that there was an equal amount of gold held. So money was backed one to one. So if you went into the bank and gave the dollar note, they could give you the equivalent of gold. And that's why and even in the UK, our banknotes say like, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £10 on a £10 note. It's it's a promise. It's not money in and of itself. It's, you know, literally a piece of paper or now a bit of plastic, I think, in the UK um, and some precious metals, although heavily watered down with other stuff. So you know, your gold coin certainly isn't made of gold. But post-1971, it lost the one-to-one backing, which means that it isn't backed by as much as uh, people maybe think anyway. And certainly what banks do is they take in your deposit. So I put in a hundred pounds into let's say Barclays or something. What they do is then they lend a portion of it out. That's how they make money. So when someone wants a mortgage, when someone wants a loan, they lend some of it out and they have to keep a certain amount held back. So their capital reserves. And that went up significantly actually the proportion of um, how much they have to hold. Uh, from 2008, 2009, after the banking crisis, when uh, the world kind of went to shit. <laughs> and banks are like, ah, we, we kind of need to keep some more money back for this. So they do lend out a significant portion. They keep a, a bit back. But fundamentally, if everyone went to their bank today and says, okay, I have £1,000 on my account, I want that back. If everyone went and did that right now, the banks would collapse because have they it. don't have that money. Yeah. That's called a run on the bank. It's what the banks try and um, avoid at all costs. And that's because fundamentally they do not have your money there at all times because they're lending it out. Someone else has ownership of it, like you say. Now, that's a little bit scary. The idea that, you know, I'm working away, saving up my money. I put it into my bank and I could go and ask for it back and they might not give it to me. What's also scary is that they say I have a thousand pounds. If they have a problem with their computer system and suddenly it says I have zero pounds, well, they're the bank. <laughs> they say how much money I have. So then I would have zero pounds. I would have to try and fight for it. But the bank is the one that controls how much you have because you're giving them your money. And so I think suddenly from 2008, 2009, with the global financial crisis and banks going bust and and the misbehavior, like you only need to look in the news to see some story about banking level corruption, mismanagement, someone being fired because of fixed the LIBOR rates, whatever it may be. And so there's this, what kind of led to Bitcoin being created was this level of like distrust that people have. This money is really important. Money keeps a roof over your head, buys you food, keeps you warm. And up until kind of 2008, 2009, we kept our money in banks. And then Trust started to dissolve because it seemed they couldn't look after it properly. They were being creative with their accounting, to say the least. And so Bitcoin was this like perfect example of, well, hang on a second. If we move our control away from a bank and into what is effectively community custody, then no one can universally say you don't own any money because there's a bug in the system because 
the community is managing it. No one can put in a rule that says um, if you're called Tara, you can't have money or if you live in a certain country, you can't have access to it. Because again, it's a community decided and the community is big enough that will look after the majority's interests, is the hope. And so this move to decentralization basically said, you see all that's bad in the world, basically. We think we've probably got a solution for it. And that was Bitcoin. And so that I think is what's really important when people start looking at the way that money works now and the problems of it, you can really see the parallels in why crypto and specifically Bitcoin originally was created. It was saying like, you see this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem, let's solve it. And it, hey, it's like, it's not perfect. Like the design of Bitcoin isn't perfect, but that's why we've got so many different assets now, which aim to solve either slightly different problems or in a slightly different way. But the fundamental ethos behind crypto was looking at the traditional banking industry and saying, you know what, that doesn't work for us. We want something better. Exactly. So I I started to uh, learn about the blockchain industry since 2018. I didn't start buying until February, 2021 when it was in the heat of the lockdown and I was like, okay, something is wrong. Like I need to do something different, you know? So I was like, okay, uh, that was the time when I started actually buying and I, and I, you know, put everything that I had into, into uh, that area. But for somebody who's starting out right now, coming into the system, and sometimes they say, oh, I'm, I'm too late. You know, it's too expensive now and I'm too late. Um, what would you say to them? Because there are a few scenarios. One is that people didn't get started. Now that they want to start, they say that it's too late. And some people are going the other way and they're like, oh, it's too late to get into the crypto industry and buy uh, Bitcoin, but I'm going to go into NFTs. And I'm like, <laughs> like you know, like that's even mu- it's so much more. <laughs> and I, I, I've been trying to explain to people that the difference between NFTs and other tokens is that with NFTs, there's no guarantee you can sell it. Like you yeah. know, like you put all your money. Like somebody has to buy it from you. Whereas yeah. if you buy Bitcoin and you need the money, you can sell it. You know, so 100%. so what would you say to these people who are getting started? And I I see a lot of people who are who don't yet fully understand the crypto industry, and they're like going head, uh, you know, first into NFTs. Yeah, madness. So I think with NFTs, you just hit the nail on the head. It's all about liquidity. So you need to find someone that wants to buy that specific JPEG off you. And um, if you're buying one of like the OG projects, so if you're going to drop a shed ton of money and you're going to buy a crypto punk or a budget eight club, yeah, there's probably going to be a community there for quite a while. But you only really have to look at like Pudgy Penguins as a project, which was like the project of the moment. Everyone was buying a Pudgy Penguin, putting it as their... Um, their profile picture on Twitter, like it was like, oh my God, Pudgy Penguins is the best. And no one's talking about Pudgy Penguins anymore. It's like, you know, fashion, here today, gone tomorrow. So there's going to be some things that stick around, like, you know, t-shirts probably always going to be kind of in fashion because it's just like such basic, but apparently skinny jeans are out. Like Gen Z's are apparently saying like, oh, if you wear skinny jeans, you're so old. Millennials are so uncool. And they're like, oh, but I thought skinny jeans would always be in. So (laughs) NFT projects are exactly like fashion. Like they're going to come in and out and you've got to either time it really well to like just get on the hype train before like, you know, I know crop tops are suddenly back in again, or you just got to take the rest that you might buy this really bespoke item of clothing. Like those weird little handbags, those tiny little handbags that celebrities tried to make like a big thing. And everyone like looked at them and they're like, 
that's so pointless. Like you can't, you can put anything in it. So it was such a like pointless little trend that lasts for a week. And many of the NFT projects are going to be exactly like that. So for me, NFTs are just such a risk to get into unless you're going to, like unless you're willing to just throw a load of money away or your level of research is basically like a a full-time job. And even then you could still make a a risky and an incorrect bet. So NFTs, like if you're getting into the space and getting into NFTs as a start, uh, okay, but that's like advanced. (laughs) Maybe go back to your basics, which is buying your Bitcoin, your Ether, like the original assets that have a whole lot of history behind them. They've got really solid use cases behind them. They've got really good infrastructure around them. Like they are your, yeah, your basics to have covered. Like kind of feel your way in those first, see what your risk tolerance is like, see if you like are actually interested in the space because I know so many people who are like, oh, I want to get into crypto because it's like going to make me loads of the money. I'm like, well, potentially, but also it's quite a complex industry with a lot going on. Like you need a little bit of passion and interest for it if you're going to be in the space. Like it's not one where you just like passively get involved. So you could buy a bit of Bitcoin, leave it for 20 years and hope it's gone up. But like to really make money in this space, you've got to engage with it. And so just like I, I have no passion for like the oil industry. And so I'm not going to go make investments in oil because I'm not going to follow the news. Oh, I'll be like a chore following the news. I'm sure it'd be really boring. And I just wouldn't be like engaged with it. And it's the same with crypto as well. Like you, you want to have this like passion and engagement in the industry in order to follow it and hopefully make some money. So I'd say that like, that's the first thing you should do. It's just like, introduce yourself to the space figure out about the og projects like bitcoin and ethereum figure out how they work learn about the currencies that are involved and when you start getting more awareness more knowledge you understand how it works and maybe dip your toes into the nft space but like that really is the risky play right now and yeah. for probably every one person that makes money there's like a hundred who lose money exactly and i think that um, and then, of course, there's all like gas fee and oh, it's crazy. Right? Oh, it's so expensive. So I wanted to, I literally wanted, I was like, okay, I'm going to dedicate a few hundred pounds just to, I'm going to lose it. It's fine. But I just want to go in and set up my account and like buy something. And I was like, I couldn't buy, like everything is so expensive. I couldn't buy anything yeah. that was like, not that I couldn't, but I didn't want to lose all my ETH for like some exactly. thing that I don't know anything about, right? So many people that I know that have lost money on NFTs. Yeah, so many people. And even the people that like, I mean, it's quite, it feels like really early internet or how I imagine the early internet days were. Like people that were coming like, okay, I've got this next really big project. It's going to be amazing because of X, Y, and Z. There's so many people in. And you're like, hmm, this hype feels completely fake, but right. And they're like, yeah, I've invested like 10 grand or 20 grand and buying these NFTs. And I'm like, yeah, hmm, are you sure like- that's a good idea? And then you look at the, the price chart and it is just moving down and down and down. Like kind of, I suppose, check, check back in on your friends like a couple of months later because they're probably just like burning money left, right and center yeah, for some of these early projects that they were hyping. Yeah, definitely. And so one of the things that I think is good with NFTs and something that I want to do for Fempeak is when it's tied into a community and you get other things with it, like you get perks with it, right? That it, it has a meaning that, you know, it's like a community that, you know, is growing. Like, for example, one of the things that we are going to do, of course, this is not public knowledge, but I guess by the time this is out, it, it, we will be able to talk about it. But is that um, 
that we are going to have these milestones for putting this many uh, women into uh, courses and, you know, like teaching them about um, uh, going into uh, different areas of STEM, like uh, science, technology, math, engineering. And then as we hit these targets, we release the NFTs as a celebration for the targets that we hit. So then that becomes really meaningful. And then some of that will be airdrops, it will be given for free, and then people can do things with it. And you know, and, and then that becomes something meaningful. But even then, like you really want to be careful, you know, because I think it's it's just so scary. So because I was like, I was like. This is ETH we are talking about. It's not like just dollars, right? Like one ETH is like four thousand dollars right now, you know. So, so I wanted to just test my hand at buying something just to get the the process down, and I ended up buying a kitty bot because I have two kittens, and I was like, okay, that's that's a cute thing, and and I still uh, I was like, it, it, like that was the cheapest thing I could buy, and it was like point two <laughs> ETH, and I was like. <sighs> parting with my ETH. <laughs> oh yeah it's so painful so I did um so I largely just stay away from Ethereum at the moment and Ethereum based NFTs because I'm just not willing to waste my ETH on gas fees yeah. so I'm very much like Polygon and Solana based from an NFT perspective so I'm absolutely obsessed with the avatar so tell me a bit about that where do you where do people go to focus on because i totally agree with you i'm not going to spend a penny of my (laughs) on these (laughs) things anymore yeah what's the safest way yeah, so OpenSea actually does support definitely Polygon. I'm not sure whether they do Solana-based NFTs yet. They probably do, though. But um, if you go on OpenSea, then you can filter by Polygon-based NFTs. Now, the fees are like like less than pennies of pennies, like unnoticeable amounts. So it's just amazing. And there's some really cool projects on there now. Like I'm kind of really big on Navagotchi, which is like this... DeFi NFT gaming platform. I could talk for hours about it. It's so cool. Uh, but it's all on Polygon. So it's really, really cheap. I buy wearables for my little Avagotchi and they're very expensive, which is crazy, but there's no fees. So I own a whole load of NFTs on Polygon for Avagotchi and it's absolutely minimal to buy them because I, I buy a wand and it's like 13 ghost, which is like 20 quid. No fees. Now, if I was buying that on Ethereum, I'd be dropping like a grand on fees. No, definitely not. Solana, I did the same as you in that I was like, right, I'm going to buy an NFT for a project to see if it goes anywhere. And I want it to be cheap. So I bought um, a fancy Frenchie because I have a French bulldog. So I was like, oh, I'll buy a French bulldog one. It'd be really cute. And I like checked which are the rarest characteristics. So I basically tried to like optimize my cost for rarity of it. Um, And I was like, yeah, okay, this is good. I'm like, I'm in. Maybe this is going to make me super rich. And I've just been looking at the price chart decrease over the past like two months. And I think the general rule is never buy an NFT you actually like (laughs) because (laughs) the chances are no one else likes it. Like the crypto community is unfortunately full of like bros. So they really like NFTs, which are yeah broy basically but we're gonna change that right we are gonna change it but for now if you want to like make Mm. money off the hype you're buying the ones which are like yeah smoking cigars and wearing chains and like all of these like kind of male like often like rapper characteristics seem to be kind of cool um whereas buying like a cute french bulldog one apparently isn't what the market wants right now so who knows maybe my fancy frenchie when 
the female kind of domination of the space increases, <laughs> maybe that'll be worth more. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say like buying an NFT based on its aesthetics isn't necessarily the way to go. Yeah, and, and I thought with my kitty butt, I was like, you know what, this is so cute. I'm just going to print it out, put it in my bathroom. And it's just, it's really just like nice. the, the, the little characteristics of it because I have two kittens and and, it, uh, and it's exactly what they do, which is like, like you're working and they come on your desk and they put the butt in your face. <laughs> you know, and, and um, the other thing is like, it's got this... Um, my one has got a, a watermelon on his head. It's just so cute. And I'm like, you know, it, I, it was a learning curve. And I knew <laughs> that it was like, you know, I was like, goodbye to my five, 600 pounds or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, and, and um, that was like a learning curve. But um, okay, so this is interesting. So um, do you think then that uh, the uh, NFTs that are going to be on Polygon and Solana are pretty much the future because a lot of people are going to get really annoyed with this gas fee thing. Yeah, I think so. And I've been thinking for quite a while, actually, like Ethereum is such a great chain. They're doing loads of really cool stuff in preparation for ETH 2.0, which is the move to like a staking blockchain, super uh, scalable, but it's not there yet. And it's certainly not going to be there until like, well, mid to end next year. And to me, that gives just so much competitive space for people or like projects like Polygon and Solana to jump into. Because what they're offering is essentially the functionality that Ethereum will have in you know a year, super low fees, and they're building massive ecosystems. They're like incentivizing people to build on them with all these crazy, crazy amounts of grants. So it's kind of like, well, how long can Ethereum hold out when people like me, like I have largely just moved away from Ethereum because I'm not willing to spend that much money. And so I'm now like pivoting towards projects that run on layer two solutions like Polygon and Solana. And I cannot be the only one doing this. So I think what we'll see is more projects launched natively on those networks because they've like even the Nike um, airdrop, I think was on Polygon actually. Um, and I've definitely seen quite a few others on Polygon recently too. And I think this is big brands or people outside of the space going, you know, I want the average person to be able to get in on this drop. And that's not going to happen if it's on Ethereum because only the rich play on Ethereum now because the fees are so high. So I think we're going to see more projects being native to non-Ethereum chains, which just naturally like moves the community over there. And at some point, those communities get so big that even when Ethereum goes, hey, guys, we did it. We're now like cheaper and scalable and all this. People will go, no, nah, I'm kind of good where I am. And so yeah. I think this like year that they've got uh, like Polygon, Solana, et cetera, have to build that up. I think it's going to be quite an interesting tipping point. But do you think that um, what you're discussing is only in terms of NFTs, right? So it's not like in general, ETH is going to um, I think there'll be more projects as well. Like when you look at the decentralized finance, like the DeFi space, like being able to stake, being able to lend, being able to borrow, like all of these and all of these services are now starting to become available on Solana and Polygon. So I think, again, that will like draw people away who don't necessarily want to buy NFTs at all. They just want to get involved in the decentralized finance space without the crazy fees. So, again, I think this like year that we've got with more projects, which will be launching either like natively on Polygon and Solana or they'll be building additional services on them as well as on the Ethereum blockchain when the fees are so cheap and settlement time is as quick if not quicker it's like well why would you choose Ethereum over a layer two solution which 
which is frankly like just as good if not better yeah okay super interesting i suppose you know because of their first mover advantage ethereum is still is still going to be uh, very popular with uh, a lot of big corporations and you know in general with institutions but it's a, definitely an interesting space to watch and okay so now if somebody come is coming into this uh space for the first time now forget about nfts we just talked about that we say don't touch nfts until you're completely you know uh, like a pro right um but you want to put some money into into um this area uh, would you recommend I mean, of course, we know that this is not financial advice and we are not giving actual uh, advice to anybody. But in terms of if, if what would you do, right, if you were in that point, where would you put like you had a small pot of money, um, let's say 10 grand. Right. And where would you put that money? Yeah. So I would say to my like friends and family and to like anyone that comes and asks me, I would say like, the most important thing is diversification. So don't put all of your money on one asset, whatever that asset is. It could be an OG like Bitcoin or Ether. Or it could be a um, meme coin. It could be just uh, like a protocol. It could be an NFT, like whatever it is, just don't put all of your money in one place. So whether you're investing like, you know, hundred pounds, 10,000 pounds, make sure that you spread that around. And just with like traditional money markets and certainly like stocks and shares, you've got your more kind of your stable bets. So you've got ones like Ethereum and Bitcoin. Those protocols have been around now for, you know, in well, for Bitcoin's case, nearly 13 years and Ethereum since 2015. Like these protocols know what they're doing. And so investing in their assets, Bitcoin and Ether, are much more like stable bets. It doesn't mean the price is going to be stable, but they're like well-established projects. So those two, I think, are um, quite a good one to like have in your portfolio of assets. Where you go from there is all about risk tolerance. So you might decide that you want the bulk of your assets there, and then you want like hundred pounds out of your ten thousand or thousand to like play around with. In that case, like oh my gosh, the space is huge. Like you could decide that you want to go into more like utility tokens or security tokens. You want to put a play in protocols. Trust. Can you explain for people who don't know, because like they're hearing these these words maybe for the first time. So uh, a utility token, a, a security token, like, you know, then there's the, um, was it the oracles? And, and like, so can you explain just roughly what these areas are and which ones are, um, you know, I'm guessing most people, especially the women that we are talking to from our audience, they will be looking at something that's going to make some money for them in the next, let's say, year or so. Yeah. So protocol tokens, first of all, are tokens that are attached to a blockchain itself. So uh, Bitcoin is a good example of this. It just has Bitcoin as the asset. That's what you use to move value across the chain. You have protocols like Cardano, Cardano which uh, the idea of that is it's meant to be used instead of, say, Bitcoin or Ethereum. So protocols are kind of independent blockchains. And when you're looking at these and deciding whether to invest in them, obviously, like, you know, do your own research. But one of the biggest things to look for is like, essentially what makes it special? Why is it better than the other protocols out there? So you'll often hear about people talking of uh, Polkadot and um, Polygon and Solana being Ethereum killers. And that's because they aim to basically provide the same but better functionality as Ethereum. So if you're going to uh, look at investing in protocols, you want to start kind of spreading across. Like, don't just invest in Ethereum and Ethereum killers because that's all one space. So try and find something which calls itself, you know, 
the Bitcoin killer or the Cosmos killer. Like try and find ones that are competing because that helps to diversify across. But fundamentally, they're all looking to provide a blockchain which lives by itself. It might interact with others, but it lives by itself. Then you have tokens which exist on top of blockchains. And there's so many different ones now, but they can exist on the Binance Smart Chain or on Polygon or on Ethereum or on uh, Solana. So you want to look at the protocol that it lives on and the functionality it has, as well as like what does the token try and do? So a utility token might say, um, so a good example I use is basic attention token. The idea behind that is there is the Brave browser, which is in competition with Internet Explorer, Mozilla Firefox, Chrome. And instead of just like peppering you with loads of ads, instead it serves you more intelligent ads and then you, you basically like pay for the ads which are good. And so using the BAT token, you can like build that up from your browsing experience, then you're able to exchange that for fiat currency or other cryptos. So the utility there is through the Brave browser. If that becomes big enough, then hopefully your BAT will become worth more money. But you can have exchange tokens where their utility is to give you, say, 5% off trading fees, or you might get a premium account with uh, excellent customer success if you have a certain number of tokens, whatever it may be. So exchange tokens, therefore, have a really different use case than utility tokens like you see with BAT. So when you're looking at a token to invest in, it's really important, like, don't just look at the price. And it, like, kills me whenever yeah. people are like, oh, I invested in this because the chart looks good. I'm like, well, what does it do? They're like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, you have to look at the use case because yeah. something may be going up today, but if there's no long-term use case, it will go down tomorrow or at least the next day. So it's always just really important when you're looking at tokens to have a look at, like, what is the point of it? And does that make sense? Does anyone need it? It's like, you know, you'll know this from investing in startups. Like, Investing in the founders is super important, yes. but the use case has to make sense. Like someone saying, oh, I'm building, you know, I'm a startup and I'm creating, you know, Prosecco for cats. It's like, well, okay, <laughs> how, how big is the target market here? You know, how many people want to drink with their cats? It's probably quite low. You're not going to become the next Uber or Facebook with that as your business idea. So it's really important when you're looking at tokens to actually look at what they're trying to achieve. And they can be suit like there's just so, so vast. There's some really good charts from, um, I think it's CBR, CB Insights that do some really nice graphics where they essentially show like some of the um, like segmentations. So even within protocols, there's so many different segmentations, but looking across tokens, I'd be like, oh, these are the ones that are doing decentralized storage. These are the ones doing um, social media type businesses. These are the ones that are doing exchange token um, value. So it kind of splits them up really nicely. So you can be like, oh, I'm really interested in, I don't know, like dating apps. Okay, let's look at in the crypto space, which tokens and businesses are looking at creating brand new decentralized dating apps or dating apps which have some kind of social token attached. So basically you can pick like whatever it is you're interested in and there's probably some kind of crypto asset that you can invest in around that. Doesn't mean it's gonna make you money just because you're interested in it, but like, that's how broad the space is. So really the, the lesson here is that um, to try and, understand because there are like what 17,000 different types of yeah. <laughs> you know right yeah, so, so, uh, so first of all to, to take an active interest in 
what uh, in, in the industry and what all of these tokens are doing. I think people need to start thinking of this as something fun rather than something as a chore that I have to do yeah. this research. No, it's actually because once you get into it, it's so much fun and you learn oh, all the differences and they, you learn what they're working on, you know. So in that respect, it's like, um, you know, it's just one of those things that's like you, you just take an active interest and then you say, okay, which of these are solving a problem in the world and uh, which ones do I um, do my values align with? And at the same time, the founder seems like they have a, a really good track record and or they have, you know, a lot of passion. They have a lot of, you know, communication with their um, community and then uh, say, OK, I'm going to go and back this person. Right. Uh, or and exactly. that, that project. Yeah. And I think you touch on something really important, which is like you just have to do some research in the space. You have to do some reading, some watching. Like you can't get away from that. Even if I wanted to choose like like a milk substitute. I'm going to do some research. Like, do I go oat? Do I go almonds? Like, it might take me five minutes. I might want to like really in-depth research, but you've got to do like a little bit of Googling on it and find out what's best for you. And it might mean that the result is like you become super passionate about your hatred for like oatly or something. As many people seem to be, but but like you find your passion when you start researching so whilst it might feel like a bit of a chore at the beginning because you're like oh this space is so big there's so much out there you could come across a project or a number of projects that you're like holy hell this is like game changing maybe it's something which is going to help like financial inclusion maybe it's a business where you're like this founder is incredible they're like a, a young black female getting into the space i really want to back this maybe it's a use case that you've personally felt has been a challenge for you throughout your life so it isn't boring research and if you find the boring the research boring like crypto just might not be for you and that's completely okay but for many people I'd like to say the, the vast majority of people, when they start looking into the space and doing like intelligent research before they're investing, they'll find it fun because it's genuinely interesting and yeah. there's so much going on in the space. But I, I just think it's so important to emphasize like you, you got to do some work to make some money. You could yeah. be super lucky, put some money in a project, maybe it balloons up and, and you know, well done. Like if that works for you, congrats but it's probably not going to happen again but whereas then that's more like lottery like you're you're 100 exactly yeah exactly whereas like your long-term return is going to come from just putting in the legwork finding the passion finding like the great projects out there and it's not going to work every time but hey if you haven't fun whilst you do it even the losses you're like oh well okay that project rug pulled but I found some I like great crypto friends along the way. I learned something, whatever it may be. So it's never wasted time when you're learning about a project. Absolutely. I think that's an amazing place to bring it in. Thank you so much. It's been really, really wonderful talking to you. And I think that um, everybody has learned so much. I definitely learned so much. You're so knowledgeable. So tell, tell us, where do you want people to find you? Uh, where else can they, other than the fact that you're going to be doing some sessions on Fempeak, but uh, where else can people find you? Yeah, so Fempeak is uh, definitely a great place because I'm going to be doing a whole bunch of sessions in 2022, which I'm really excited about. Uh, nothing brings me more joy than talking about crypto and nothing brings me even more joy than talking about crypto to people who are new in the space. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, but in the meantime, I kind of write prolifically on um, Medium and LinkedIn. I cross post everything there. So if you're on one, um, then that covers you. And it's always crypto explained 
from a technical standpoint, but for non-technical people. So mm. it's exactly targeted towards an audience who are getting in on the space and want that depth of knowledge to make good decisions on or just learn more. So yeah, LinkedIn um, and Medium are definitely the places to go. I'm hopefully going to be doing um, some other sessions and various kind of external speaking stuff um, next year as well. So that'll be a bit more ad hoc, but hopefully plenty of opportunities for people to find out more. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tara. What an absolute gem. Please give Tara a well-deserved follow on LinkedIn and other social channels, and don't miss her sessions on Fempeak. She is incredibly knowledgeable and great to listen to. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. Our team works extremely hard to bring these interviews to you, and your support will help more people discover the content. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fempeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth.